Really excited here. New series, new location. Beautiful bunch of people in the, in the congregation. I love to see it. And I'm really excited about this new series because it delves into issues of identity. And there's very few issues in our lives that we need to explore more than identity because it gets challenged every day as we go on and live. And so I'm really excited for everyone here, everyone listening on podcasts later on. Uh, I hope this is something where the Lord is speaking to you and you really get a sense that God connects you with his spirit and his word over these next four weeks. So I think it's going to be really good. Really looking forward to Reverend Brian Jones preaching next week, bringing a great word for us. He's doing a great job here, fresh off the plane from the UK. Great to see you, Brian. And then Jenny's preaching after that, and then I'll be finishing it off. So it's called Alter Ego, this series. A-O-T-A-R, that's not a typo, because if you know anything about the Old Testament, a bit about history and religious history, you know that an altar is a place where believers have historically come to offer a sacrifice of some kind, to offer something on an altar. And an ego, well, our ego is effectively what we think about ourselves. And so our alter ego is how we, how we think about ourselves. And we are going to take how we think of ourselves and offer it before God, offer it as a sacrifice and go, how am I really thinking about myself? Am I thinking about myself in a way that reflects, God, how you think about me? And we're going to do that over four weeks. And this week, we're going to be talking about inadequacy, our own feelings of inadequacy. And then Brant next week is going to be dealing with our need for control. And then Jenny in week three, I think this is going to be fun, is going to be dealing with our, our right to be offended. Because we live in a culture where we're often subconsciously looking for reasons to get offended. I don't know if you've been on Twitter lately. I don't necessarily recommend it. There's a lot of people looking for reasons to get offended there. And then finally, I'm going to finish this off by talking about our need for approval. So it's going to be a really challenging but beautiful and profound four-week series. And I just pray that God will really speak to you in this time. I really believe that God is going to speak to you. And I want to encourage you, jump on board with the version Bible reading plan, like Jenny mentioned. It's really good. You don't need to go back and start from the start. Don't worry about that. Just jump on board today. Friend me, Mike Wardrop. Just find me on version, and I'll add you into our Alter Ego reading plan group. And it's great. You just chuck on a little comment at the end of every day, just going, look, this is what, this is what I'm learning today. There's no comment too profound or not profound enough. So thanks to everyone who's participating in that already. So I want to talk about inadequacy to start off with. And I feel like I'm, I'm very qualified to talk about inadequacy, which is a bit ironic to say. You know, it's a bit of a tautology, but there we go. I, I feel qualified to talk about inadequacy because I suffer from lots of feelings of inadequacy. And I don't know if anyone else is like that, but certainly I do. So I, I think, for example, I'm a pastor. We are not known for being the most financially robust group of people, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I see that hand in the front row from the pastor's kid. The, we, we are not known for being these incredibly wealthy folks, but I live in Prospect, so it's quite easy for me to get home envy. So I look around at these incredible, beautiful homes that our neighbours have, and our house is lovely too, but frankly, we are very lucky to be in it and at a very cheap price. But I look around at the cars and homes that our neighbours have, and I think, I, I, don't, I can't even imagine the job you must have in order to pay for this house. I, I can't even imagine it. Is superstar NBA player rocket scientist a job? Because if it is, maybe that's it. I don't think it is. And then I feel inadequate because I don't even know what jobs people have. So that's another feeling of inadequacy. But maybe you're more, more like the type that you, you feel inadequate because you go to your friend's house and everything looks perfect. Do you know those people? They have those couches with the, the canvas couches that 
only, only people with well-behaved kids and well-behaved adults have because they stain really easily. And I, I walk into those homes and I think, oh, I will never own those couches. I, I will always have waterproof couches. <laughs> but you go into those and, and, and you go into your home and your home smells of kid vomit and you've been scrubbing and scrubbing, but the, the smell just lingers and you can't get rid of it. And you go into their house and you see your friend and she's there and she's perfect and the hair's done and the nails are done and you love her because she's your friend. But also you hate her because she's perfect and you're just trying to repress that hatred deep in your heart. Maybe you're a student and you work like crazy to get credits at uni and you feel like you are working night and day to eke out these 65% assignments and stress your way through an exam and meanwhile your friend is going, oh, I don't do any, I don't do any study at all and they're topping the class every time. And then you all go out at the end of term and you dress up nicely and your friend is just getting hit on by everybody in the pub. And it's not like you want to get hit on by everyone at the pub because that's not what you want. You want a godly man. You want to, you want to, have, you know, you want to get everything in a row. You want to do things right. But would it kill them just to look your way and notice how good you look just once? Would it kill them? This is what we do. We measure ourselves and we feel inadequate. I don't know, maybe, maybe this is just me, but sometimes I feel spiritually inadequate where I'm hanging out in a group of people and they're talking about something and they go, you know, that reminds me of like 2 Chronicles 14.2 and then they quote the verse and you're like, I thought 2 Chronicles was in the Harry Potter series. I, 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 I honestly didn't know that was in the Bible. So you, you tell me uh, and they're like, well, why don't you pray to close the group? And you're like, ah, uh, ah. Uh, and you, you don't want to pray because you've heard them pray and you know that God likes their prayers more than your prayers. Like you've heard them pray. You're like, there's no way God's think, yeah. He's hearing my prayers and he's going, those are the good prayers. Yours are the backup prayers. So you pray, and you're like, ah, God, Lord, Jesus, Father, Spirit, Jesus, Bible verses, amen. <laughs> and you're just, you're just thinking, I'm, I'm a terrible Christian. And then you take a job like mine. Like I'm, I'm a pastor, right? And as a pastor, it is so easy to get caught up in this, in this game where you feel inadequate compared to other people. I didn't even come up with this series. I stole this whole series. That's how inadequate I am. In fact, if you Google Craig Rochelle, the guy who wrote this series, in fact, don't Google Craig Rochelle because if you look at an image of him, it will distract you for the rest of the message because he is 50 years old and he is built like a more muscular, chiseled specimen of George Clooney, but with all of Clooney's best like peak year bits. Uh, you know, it's just ridiculous, and he's smart, and he's an author, and he's doing all this stuff, and I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I'll just steal your ideas and present them as my own. That, that's how inadequate I can feel at times. And if you feel that way, I relate. I relate. And so I know for me, the, the times I've really felt inadequate, and I think it started when I was a kid, just to go all house therapy on you for a moment. I think it started when I was a kid, because I, I was the sort of kid that uh, every, everyone labeled as gifted. And, and I know that sounds like, oh, wow, my heart breaks for you, gifted kid. But what it does is, is when that gets spoken over you again and again and again, and then every now and then you're like, oh, I didn't do very well at this. You go, well, I'm a failure. It's not that I just didn't do well relatively to somebody else, or this is something new, or you, this latent perfectionism creeps in and it starts to break you. It really starts to break you, and you start to think, anytime I'm not getting perfection, I'm getting failure. And I remember one time that this really struck home is when my, my firstborn son, Charlie, he, we had him home from the hospital. He was pretty young. I think we just changed his nappy. 
He was laying down on Denny in my bed, looking up at me, and this thought struck me. I am the image of God to this guy. I am the first image of who he is meant to be. He doesn't have a better picture of what it means to grow up into a man than me, what it means to grow up to be a follower of Jesus as a man than me. And I felt so inadequate. And if you're a parent in the room, I don't know if you've ever felt anything like that, where suddenly the pressure of going, oh my gosh, I better get my act together because suddenly this little person is relying on me. And I used to live with my parents and have a dog and I didn't feed the dog, but now I've got a baby. And I, I had two goldfish and they both died. You know, they, I, I let them die. I can murder them. Like, you know, let's not get morbid. But they died in my presence, which is kind of manslaughter or fish slaughter. And now I've got a human to look after and I'm in trouble. These are the feelings of inadequacy that plague us. Why do we all battle with this? I think we, let's, let's use the story of Gideon in a minute, but I want to give us three key principles that I think are going to help us in, in looking at where we battle with these feelings of inadequacy. Okay? So the first one we're going to talk about, why do we feel inadequate? Number one, sometimes in the past, we've been subject to unfair criticism. Unfair criticism. I don't know if you've been subject to unfair criticism in the past, but there's this, this tendency sometimes that we'll be in environments where people are speaking negativity over us. It often happens when we're a kid and we keep it on board. Somebody just says an offhand comment. They're like, oh, you're not very good at this. Or, oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's okay, I guess. Or, or they really go for it and like, you're not any good at this. Oh, you were an accident. You know, I, I wish I hadn't had you. Somebody says an offhand cruel comment and it stays with you. I remember being five years old, my first term of primary school, and I had a teacher. Her name is Mrs. Connell. And Mrs. Connell, I remember her leaning over my shoulder my first term of school and saying, well, that work's not very nice, is it? Who does that to a five-year-old? And I have a terrible memory, but that has stuck with me my whole life since I was five. And a couple of years ago, I was sitting down and having a chat with a friend of mine that I went to school with, and I mentioned this story. And he said, you know, I had the exact same experience. Two five-year-olds remembering this in their mid-30s. They're going, we remember this experience. It shaped us because this person told us we can't. We can't. And if you're an Encounter Kids leader, I just want you to know, or if you're thinking about joining that team, and you should, because it is the discipleship makers. You are making great disciples. But what I want you to do is 100 times out of 100, I want you to speak encouragement into their lives again and again and again, even if they're doing something wrong. And bless them, they will speak encouragement because they will get enough criticism outside these four walls. Inside here, we are going to tell them you're made in the image of God. You have a plan and a purpose and a future. And we will speak encouragement into their lives every time. Amen? Amen. Come on. That's good. So that's unfair criticism. And the thing that happens with unfair criticism is the message gets burned onto your ego and you go to do something significant and these little voices rise up and say, can you really do this? Do you remember? Don't you remember people telling you that you're not that good? And then you you go to sit back down and go, no, maybe I can't do this. I believe God's saying that we can do a lot of things that we're not meant to. So let's take that unfair criticism and let's move on to the second one, which is maybe a bit surprising. And that's unrealistic compliments. Unrealistic compliments. Okay, now let me, let me give you the stereotypical pastor version of this. The unrealistic compliment is, is you get down and you finish a message and people shake your hand and say, great message, pastor. What they really mean is, time for me to go home and this is how I signify it. They're just generally affirming you. What I love about encounters, one of our core values is real. So when we are talking, we are real with each other. And so 
I don't get the great message pastor at all, unless it's actually a good message. Now, sometimes that means I get down and no one speaks to me. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> but other times I get down and people surprisingly like, oh, I loved when this happened. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I didn't, I didn't think I nailed that because my feelings of inadequacy are rising up, you see. And, uh, but it's not an unrealistic compliment, and I love that about this place. But we live in a culture that is, I think, a participation certificate culture. Everybody gets a trophy. I feel like my generation was kind of the guinea pig for that. I remember playing under eights basketball. Again, everyone tells me, of course you can play basketball. You're going to grow up to be five foot seven or something and a white Australian guy with no athleticism. But play basketball. Aim for the stars. <laughs> and... I remember growing up playing under eights and under tens basketball and you'd all play and you'd have fun and you're learning and at the end of the season, everybody got a trophy. I'm like, this is great. I'll just keep playing and just do whatever I want because I'll always win a trophy. Year seven, I signed up for the school footy team because I knew perfectly well they give you a trophy at the end of the year. I was terrible, like terrible, terrible, terrible. The only reason they let me play is we have about 17 players and I swear I was still a sub for half the games. But they, they should have given me a trophy and just said, please don't come back to the team. We're doing really well without you. Find your calling somewhere else. Because sometimes this, we set people up for failure with unrealistic compliments. We tell them again and again, yeah, you're doing great. You're doing great. What we're doing is being insincere. And we're setting their standards up here. And then they step out into the reality and it's here. And suddenly the insecurity hits, it just kicks in. And they're like going, I thought I was up here. Everyone's told me I'm here and I'm experiencing this. It's like the gifted kid syndrome I mentioned before. And then we feel like we can't step out in faith to do anything significant again because we don't know what to do when we fail. Here's the third one. Here's the third one, okay? So we've got unfair criticism, unrealistic and compliments, and the third one is unwise comparisons. Unwise comparisons. These three things tear us down. And we know where we get most of our unwise comparisons from nowadays, right? We get it from social media. You go on Instagram and you're in your trackies and you're eating your spaghetti toast, spaghetti on toast, you know, and your hoodie's stained and you're watching like, you know, reruns of The Block or something and feeling, you know, pretty three out of ten about life. And you go on Instagram and your friend's on their honeymoon and, you know, is the beach and there's a lobster and a champagne glass and they're like, just another Thursday. You're like, I hate you. I hate everything about you. And you like the photo. You're like, so good. Can't wait to hear the stories when you get back. And you spill more spaghetti on your top. And you're like, this is happening. The life, the life is kicking in. And you can still smell that kid vomit. <laughs> wafting, wafting. But it's because we make these unwise comparisons. And Stephen Furtick, a pastor from North Carolina, great preacher, puts it this way. He says, we're comparing our behind the scenes where everybody else's highlight reels. Our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reels. And it's true. You're sitting at home, thumbing through Instagram, and you see the best photo they've had in the last five weeks. In fact, there's some people, and you might be in this room, you know who you are, okay? Just, you know, take this to heart if that's you. You've been storing up these great photos, and you took a whole bunch of them at once, and you just spoon feed them, you just drip them out, like one every week. Let's go throwback to when I was in paradise. And nobody thinks about the throwback part. They're just like, oh, that's a beautiful photo. My life sucks. <laughs> and we've got to stop doing this. We've got to stop taking this inadequacy upon ourselves from unwise comparisons. We've all got FOMO. We've all got FOMO. And we feel inadequate because 
let's say we get into church and we're worshiping and somebody else has got their arms raised and they just, they're just going for it. And we think, man, they have got it all together and I'm here and I don't, I don't even have socks matching today. You know, like I, I just don't have it. I to tell you, that person who's worshiping with arms raised is only worshiping with arms raised because they've been at the end of their rope before. Or they might be at the end of their rope right now and they're just pressing in. They're saying, this is all I've got. God, take it, take it, take it. Don't feel inadequate by not making unwise comparisons. Because when we do that, our ego starts to tell us what we're not and God's trying to tell us what we are. So if we get into Gideon's story, we look into that today as Ash read so beautifully earlier. Thanks, Ash. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. So let's break it down a little bit and then let God help us lay down our ego on the altar so we can become who God says we are. Okay? So let's start in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Okay, let's just press the pause button there. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, threshing is when you separate the wheat, okay? So anybody who knows anything about, about threshing, particularly in those days, knows that what they did is they went to a nice open space, particularly potentially on a bit of a high rise where they can get some wind. They want just a light breeze, and then they throw the grain up in the air, right? Throw the grain up in the air. It's like the sound of music up there, and a light breeze is coming through, and it takes away the chaff, which is the indigestible stuff that human beings actually can't process properly. Gets rid of that, and you're left with all the good wheat. Gideon is in a wine press. He's like, you know, on a throwback French tour, just quietly in there in his wine press, just throwing, throwing up really quietly because he doesn't want to be seen and killed by the Midianites because the Midianites had this system of oppression where they came in and they started by burning the crops and then if the people kept, kept farming the crops and trying to do something more with them, they would come back and they would kill the people farming them. And so Gideon is in hiding and, God, and an angel of the Lord comes down. And what does the angel say? The angel says, the Lord is with you. Let's just say that together for a second because it's important for us to grasp. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, you, are, you definitely have the wrong person. I'm literally hiding in a barrel. I, I'm not a mighty warrior. And, and Gideon stressed out. So, but the Lord saw something in him that he didn't see in himself. So Gideon replies, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Fair question. Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of the Midianites. The Lord turned to him and said, go in, I love this, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God asks. And Gideon's internal, his inner self starts to play the negative messages that his ego has conditioned him to believe. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. Gideon says, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. I'm the weakest of the weakest of the weak. Which is a, you know, not a great introduction to an angel. But you might say it this way, well, that's, that's all very well and good for you, but I can't sing. I'm not good on stage, or I'm not that bright, or I'm not as good looking as they are. I'm not as talented. I'm not as good with my money. I'm not parenting as well. I'm not keeping my house together as well. You might put that, that together, and all the inner me messages try to tell you what you can't do, but God is trying to tell you what you can do, and you've got to listen to the right voice. And in verse 16, the Lord answered this, 
key to the whole message through the angel and said, I will be with you. I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites together. So we are going to lay down now our ego at the altar of God because we are not who we think we are. We're going to become who God says we are. Okay, so we're going to do three things. We're going to think about three things to do that. And the first is this, that God's view of you is different to what you think. Okay, God's view of you is different to what you think. You're taking notes, write that down. Taking notes, by the way, great thing to do to grow spiritually. God's view of you is different than you think. I promise you that God sees more in you than you see in yourself and I see in myself. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon who is hiding everything about his action, says he's afraid. What does the angel say? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. God's view of you is different. And someone told you, you know, once upon a time that you can't or you won't. And you need to lay that aside. And this week in our Bible reading on, on our U version plan for Alter Ego, we've been hearing this verse over and again that's been getting referenced <clears throat> in the devotion, Ephesians 2.10, which says, You are God's masterpiece. Masterpiece. You're not God's accident. You're not God's broken pieces. You are God's masterpiece. He is creating something extraordinary in you. And he created us anew in Christ Jesus so he can do the good things that he prepared and planned for us long ago. Before you were even born, God created a heavenly to-do list with you in mind. Okay, he's got you uniquely created to do what you are called to do. But you've got to remember, God thinks about you in ways that you don't think about yourself. His view of you is different to what you think. When others see you or when you see yourself, remember that. God's view of you is different to what you think. So number two, God has given you more than you think. God has given you more than you think. What does the angel say to Gideon? He says, if you want to do something significant, go to Bible college. Then you'll do something significant. No, of course he doesn't. He says, go read a book first and then learn about it. Anybody use that cop-out before? Oh, I'll do it, but I just want to research it first. God is calling us to obedience. And when he's calling us to step out in faith, he doesn't want us to delay that obedience. He wants the obedience now. Delayed obedience is just disobedience. We need to get right with God right now and listen to his calling and step out in faith because God has put more in our hands than we realize. And God says to Gideon, what? Wait for me to give you an army? No, quite the opposite. He says, go in the strength you have. You have strength right now if you have God in you. If you have given your life to Jesus, if you're following Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit in you as a deposit of God coming back, you have everything you need to do a significant work for God. And I need you to hear that. I need that to drop in your heart tonight. I need that to drop in my heart week after week, honestly. But you need that as well. God has given you more than you realize to do what he is calling you to do right now. Step out. Go in the strength you have. That's the second thing. This is what uh, 2 Peter 1.3 says about that. It says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Is God holding anything back? No. He gives you everything you need to live a godly life. Through what? Through our knowledge of God who called us by his glory and goodness. It's in our knowledge of God that he gives us everything that we need. So we need to explore that. Don't you dare believe what somebody else said about you. Don't you dare believe those negative messages that are climbing up even now. 
You can rebuke them in Jesus' name. They do not have to take charge over you. You can do it in the strength that God is giving you even now. Believe that, friends. Believe that. And you might say, okay, I'm not, that's all very well for you to say from up there, but I'm not a stage person. I say, great. Jesus said, those who serve, they're the most of all. They get more of the kingdom than anybody else. Okay? So maybe you are the best in the kingdom of heaven and you don't even know it yet because you've been saying you're not on stage, so it doesn't matter. Say, okay, oh, well, that, well, that's good, but I, I'm not really a talker. I'm not really good at talking. I, I'm more of a listener. It's like, great. More people's lives have been changed by good listeners than have been changed by people mouthing off to hear the sound of their own voice. Okay? As a talker, let me vouch for that. People need people in their lives who are willing to sit and listen, and you can be the presence of God to those people. They need you to sit and listen and be with them. You, you might be someone going, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to support my family, but I'm not a six-figure guy. I'm not, I'm not a six-figure earner. No, but you might be a six-night-a-week-at-home person. And you might be sowing into your children in a way that will reap rewards throughout their lives for the next 80 to 90 years because of the way you're sowing into them. Trust in God. Trust that God has put more in you than you realize. So here's the last one, the third one. And Ben, you guys can get back up. It'd be great. Number one, God's view of you is different than you think. Number two, God has given you more than you realize. And number three, and this is, this is the hammer. This is what you need to hear. It's less about you than you think. It's less about you than you think. This is what the Lord says to Gideon in verse 16 again. I will be with you and you'll strike down all the Midianites together. That's what the angel says to Gideon at the beginning and the end of this passage. I will be with you. I will be with you. It was less about Gideon's talent and more about God's power than he ever realized. And that's what it usually is like in our lives. We would like it to be more about our talent because then we just go and we improve ourselves right? We improve ourselves at a craft. We get better and better. We renovate ourselves. Home improvement, but for ourselves. But God's saying, actually, you can only get so far doing that. You're going to run to the end of the rope. You're going to come up against a situation you can't explain, that you can't deal with, and you're going to feel like you have nothing left. And God says, but I'm here in the midst of that. I'll be with you. That's my promise, my absolute promise. When God calls you to do something, you've got to know that it's more about the presence of God in your life than it is about your own capacity. I think sometimes maybe we put too much emphasis on the need to add value, add capacity, add strength to our bow. I feel, I feel like you know everyone's trying to upskill and get better at everything. I was talking to a friend recently and they were saying, you know, I'm doing this and that, but I'm kind of at the end of the road in, in my profession. Like it doesn't really go any further. And there was this sense that even for this person who, who knows what it means to follow Jesus, there was this sense of uncertainty, like, how can I be satisfied if I've reached the pinnacle of my career? Isn't that interesting? As if there's nowhere to go but down. And God says, no, it's never actually been about that. It's never been about the rat race. It's never been about going a step further. It's been about pressing into my presence and trusting that I'm calling you to do new and incredible things. God is calling everyone in this room, everyone in this room, to step out in faith and do something extraordinary. And for many of us, the reason we're not doing it is we're wrestling with our own sense of inadequacy. I am not good enough. I can't do it. 
whether that's the unfair criticism in our ears, whether it's because we've been puffed up with unwise compliments and we don't know what to do when we fail, whether it's because we've been making unhelpful comparisons with people around us. It's time for us to stop that. It's time for us just to press in and say, God, I want your presence. I want to hear what you are saying to me. And I trust that you want to speak and you want to change me. So we lay it down. That's why we that's why we sing that song, Who I Say I Am. Who you say I am, not who I say I am. It's the opposite. We sing that song so that we are reminded once again, this is how we define ourselves by who God says we are. And we're called Encounter Church because we believe that that encounter with the Holy Spirit changes everything. It changes everything. It changed everything for me. I know it changed everything for many people in this room. What's God challenging you to, you to lay down today? So I, just as I finish, I just want to tell you how, how my Saturday nights go. This is, this is how my Saturday night goes. Because I, I've noticed that people tend to enjoy Saturday nights, right? Pretty good. You had a day off for most of us. You kick your feet up. You might have something social on. Saturday nights are my least favorite night of the week. Because I go home either early or late and I sit up in my study and I am racked by feelings of inadequacy. I have to present a message about Jesus and it won't be good enough. Will it? Won't it? And I sit up there and I spend half my time trying not to bang my head on the desk and pull my hair out and resisting the urge to go and make copies at like past the midnight mark of the night. And the amount of times that I've gone like full egg mode in the corner, just been like, God, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. At the end of our rope, when we realize how much we need God, but it's also God speaking into us in that space and going, You have everything because you have me. And so, at that point, you've got a couple of options. You can either beat your head on the desk, but that leaves a nasty mark, or you can choose to believe that God has called you, and when He's called you, He's equipped you. And that's how we need to be in all our lives different areas and spheres of our lives. We need to trust that God has called and equipped us into these different places. You might be in a workplace that feels really hostile to the Christian faith, but God has called you and equipped you into that place. You might be studying in an area and you don't even know if it's for you, or you might feel like it's heading nowhere, but if God has called you and equipped you to do that, you see it through because God is with you in the midst of it. God is with you. And we've got to shut down that negative self-talk, that, that little voice, just, just bringing us down. We've got to shut that down and listen for the Holy Spirit. Listen for the Holy Spirit speaking life and hope into us. I just wonder, as we, as we come to a time of worship, just stand with me. going to have a time of prayer and what I want to do is offer space for people just to lay down their inadequacies on the altar before God and say God my, my ego has been telling me stories about what I can and can't do my ego has been telling me that I'm this bad or this good and I'm struggling with that gap Lord Jesus I just pray that through your Holy Spirit you will speak to people now, right now, 
even in the midst of their brokenness. I know the way that you use me in the midst of my inadequacies to say, you're not inadequate. It's just that I'm exceptionally adequate. It's the spirit that fills us. It's the Jesus that died for us. That's where our adequacy is. That's where our competency, that's where our excellence is in Jesus who fills us and equips us. God, I want to thank you for the way you are calling and equipping everyone in this room. And Lord, I pray that right now in your Holy Spirit, you are speaking to people right in their hearts.